the squeeze all. Thank you for listening, thank you for downloading, you're here with us at the Clock End Talk, and we got the three points yesterday against Burnley. Uh, this Today on the show we've only got Tony and Schwinn, how are you Tony? Yeah, I'm good thanks, um, better after the result yesterday. Yeah, good three points mate, it was, a, it was a one that we definitely needed. So, um, Schwinn, how are you buddy? Uh, doing well, thank you, how about yourself? Yeah, good mate, good. So, Savvy couldn't join us and... Carl also couldn't join us, but the boys will be back with us again next week. Um, okay, Tony, let's get straight into it, mate. The Burnley game, what was your thoughts on the game? And uh, first of all, start with the line-up, mate. Um, so I think the line-up, we, well, I mean, when we discussed it before, we, we all pretty much got the line-up spot on, except um, obviously we couldn't have foreseen that Ozil was going to be ill. Um, so... Once I heard sort of about three hours before that Ozil was ill, um, and then I thought he would throw Jack in. Maybe it was more hoping than thinking. Um, obviously, he went for Iwobi. Um, it was only out of them two, I think. Um, some people thought he might have moved Ramsey forward and then stuck Buckling or El Nenny next to Jacko, but I think that goes with a too negative mindset. And also, Ramsey and Jacko have started to forge a half decent partnership. So it'd be silly to break it up. Um, but apart from that, the team pretty much picked itself. Um, I can't. I don't think anyone could have argued. Look, I mean, if we lost, people would have argued. But before the game, that's the team everyone wanted. As I said, bar maybe a Wobi. Um, that's not to say I thought it was bad. It's just that's not who I thought or who I wanted to play. Um, On to the game. Uh, I'll start off by saying Burnley are a very good side. Um, they might not be the most attractive but they're very hard to score against. They're very hard to play against because like we always say, oh, the best defensive teams defend from the front with high pressing. You can't high press against them because they kick the ball 70 yards. Mm. So it doesn't matter if you close them down. They're hoofing it anyway. Um, I mean, they were Chris Woods obviously was on the bench because he's a bit short of fitness. So Ashley Barnes started, who for me is a joke of a player. The amount of times he plays the man, not the ball. I don't think he played the ball at all in the game. Every time he gets touched, he goes down and he got every decision. I think we're probably going to come on to the ref at some point because of the decisions that were made. But I thought he was awful both ways. I don't think he was biased. I think he's just a very bad referee. Um, but, yeah, so Burnley are a good side. And it, to be honest, that when the board went up for two minutes uh, for the stoppage time at the end, I was sitting there or standing there um, thinking, I'm not sure if it's a good point or a bad one. It's definitely not a bad point, but... I didn't know if it was like our two points drop or a point game because they were that good. As I said, we didn't we didn't have a chance. I mean, beyond the penalty, there was no shot on. T- I my rules for a shot on target realistically is something that I wouldn't have saved or the average man wouldn't save. I hate it when you see that they go, "Oh, the teams had twenty shots on target," but most of them were like pretty much back passes that the keeper could like kneel down and pick up and have a fag before he does it. Um, <laughs> so, in terms of actual shot on target. Um, I think the penalty was the only one. Like, as I said, what I would class as a shot on target. Um, so it's not like we created loads and they, they were very good at the back. They probably created a bit more. Not that they had any clear-cut chances, but they probably created a little bit more. Uh, second half, we were a lot better. First half, we were awful and we were lucky to go in at nil-nil. Second half, we were a much better team. Um, I think he told the defence to push up 20 yards so that when 
if Ashley Barnes did win them headers, instead of winning them on the edge of the area, he was winning them 30, 40 yards out, and there was still a lot of work to do. Um, so that was a little tactical move. Um, I mean, I, I say tactical move. We all know Arsene Wenger doesn't do tactics, apparently. So let's say it was a little lucky move um, <laughs> that, that he told the defenders to be better. Um, but I think that had a massive contribution to pretty much all of the second half was played in their half. But again, without us creating anything. Um so in the end, it's, it's an absolutely amazing three points. Not amazing, that's a bit much. It's a very, very good three points against a team that are very good. They've been away to Liverpool, they've been away to Tottenham, they've been away to Chelsea and they've not lost any of them games. So at home, where they're traditionally a lot better, to go there and get three points is 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 an achievement. And if they play like that all season, no one's going to want to go up there. Um, I always think the problem with these teams with the smaller squads is they have phases where they'll have a month or two where they're very good and then later on in the season you'll get Man United will go up there and beat them 5-0 and you think, oh, sort of, how did Arsenal struggle? Mm. But if, if Burnley keep up this level throughout the season, they'll, they'll come seventh, I think they are. I mean, obviously, before the season, it like that was sort of Everton's place. You've got the top six are going to finish in the top six. And then the seventh is, there's not many teams that can compete for it. But I think if Burnley play the way they did yesterday, they'll, they'll be that seventh team. Be, yeah, Burnley and Watford. They're pro- Watford are another team that are playing pretty good football. But, I mean, obviously... It, sounds, it might sound a bit bitter because I've seen both at their home grounds against us. And I know Watford won and Burnley didn't against us, but Burnley were a much better side than Watford were against us. Obviously, yeah, okay. it's a small sample because I'm basing it on one game, but yep. Burnley were better than Watford were. Yeah, OK. And just on your shots, you're, you're pretty right. Like, and the stats were shots on target, two each. Uh, Burnley and, and Arsenal were the two each. Well, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. it's a penalty in the back. And one of them was like a Lacazette shot from the edgy area after about... 45, 50 minutes just into the second half, but it was in the middle of the goal. The keeper just bent down and picked it up. Like uh, an average ten-year-old would have saved it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't. Wouldn't have been a shot on target. Um, that that one with Cockle. Uh, not. Uh, was it Klozenac? Was that a shot or was that a? Was he trying to pass that over for somebody to run onto it? Um, they so on the highlights package here. They haven't showed that. You just remind me of it, and I think. Uh, I think he, it was a cross to Lacazette, but Lacazette didn't gamble, which is a bit unlike him. I think Lacazette pulled back a bit, but I think he'd overhill it anyway. Even if Lacazette did gamble, yeah. um, I, he wouldn't have got on it. But it was a it was a square ball to, to Lacazette, and as I said, for some reason Lacazette held back. Um, sometimes you can hold back and it'd be right. The ball comes back to you and you tap it in. Other times you you go in and it comes back and you look. Oh, why didn't he stand still? So that's just a bit of understanding um, between the two of them, which obviously they're both new to the club. Mm. Um, it, it's not always it's not telepathic um, and I think sometimes you it, I'm not, I don't really want to talk about him because he wasn't involved but I think sometimes that's when you realise how good Ozil is because he seems to always pick the option that the striker's taken yeah, yeah. Um, and I know I'm comparing a left wing back to a number 10 but I, I think there's something like that where 99 times out of 100 Ozil plays the ball that, whether it goes to the striker or not he plays the ball that the striker wants mm. whereas in that instance Kolasinac's ball apart from being over here it wasn't a bad choice but it wasn't the choice that Lacazette wanted yeah 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 um who was your man of the match uh Koscielny for me for his first half performance he he made three goal saving headers in the first half at the back post well they came obviously their back post mm. um and I, I think I think we had a lot of six and seven performances I don't think anyone was outstanding no, I don't hard. think anyone was, I don't think anyone was bad um I'd say in the second half, Koscielny wasn't that great, to be honest. But I think for what he'd done in, in the first half, some of the headers he won, we would have been sort of 2-0 two, 
potentially two, three nil down. So um, I'd give it to him for what he'd done in the first half. But it, as I said, I don't think there was a standout. It's one then where you could probably make a case for 11 players to be man on a match. Mm-hmm. I thought Czech was pretty good. He, he, he had a good game. Um, you know, following a bit of form at last because he's, he's been a little bit ordinary. Well, and that's a, the the save. So, oh, I mean, you've sort of seen the video. I was, I was behind the goal that we scored in, and that they attacked in the first half. And the save from Goodmanson onto the post, and he clearly did save it. Like you could hear it in the ground. I don't know how the refs given us the throw on. Was a world class save mm. um, where he tipped it onto the post. But that's another one that won't go down as a shot on target because it's not gone down as a save. It's gone down as he's hit the post, which is off target. So when you say, "Oh, we both had two shots on target," that doesn't include that, which for me was the best chance of the game by the penalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, shots on Woodwork. Yeah, well, was they the, that was their one. So, um, okay. Who? So there was a bit of criticism about, and I'll I'll get Schwinn in a second. His his thoughts on it all. Um, Sanchez, whether it was a bit of a hit and a miss for the game, or it was a, a good game by him. What was your take on it from the ground? Uh, look, I think Burnley make everyone hit and miss. They pack their defence so tight that any creative player. Um, look, no one's going to pass the, the balls accurately 100% of the time. So, we've, And there's very little space to play in against Burnley. So I, I didn't think he was bad. I said to you guys earlier that I was quite shocked when I came out of the ground and looked on Twitter and saw quite a lot of negative comments about him. Um, look, I don't, I don't think he played well. I just don't think he was bad. Um, mm. He may have gave the ball away a bit and someone will probably have stats that tells me he did, but all of our players would have done because of how tightly... Um, uh, Burnley defended I think sometimes he as well you can forgive a player for giving a ball away when they're trying to unlock a defence like if a cross is slightly over hit or under hit but you can act, you can see he's trying to create something um, what annoys me with Sanchez usually is when he gives away the stupid five yard passes which even if they're complete they're, you're not gaining anything from them I don't mind an att- especially an attacking player giving a ball away when they're trying a, if a killer pass gets cut out you don't mind because you know if one goes through you, it creates a chance but, yeah, as I said, I, I didn't think he was bad. I, I wouldn't say he was good. I've seen some people saying he was man in a match because he scored the penalty. As I said, there's an argument for pretty much all of them, but I wouldn't have given man in a match, but I definitely didn't think he was bad. Just so um, the stats, they'll come back. And, he, you know, 59 passes. He had made 40 accurate passes. Pass success rate of 67%. So, it, yeah, it, but then I'd like to bad. see... I'd like to see Iwobis and Lacazette who played in the attacking part of the pitch and were trying to unlock a pack, pack defence. Um, with, without Ozil, he was cre- he was the he was the number ten, the de facto number ten. So he was he it's going to be him that tries the hard passes because if everyone plays the easy hundred percent passes, it's nil nil. Well, just on your Iwobis, ninety one percent and forty two two accurate passes. So you're dead right, as you just said, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Schwinn, what was your thoughts on it, mate? Well, to start with, uh, I must confess that uh, I was not in the most focused state of mind while I was watching the game, so please excuse if I've missed anything out or if you ask me a question and I don't have an answer. That's fine. But, uh, but I mean, as I said before before the game and when we did our last podcast, that I was expecting Burnley to turn up. I was not expecting them to park the bus. I think the fact that we played at Turf Moor and not at the Emirates worked in our favor. Uh, that same game at the Emirates would have been a disaster, I feel, just because our fans, as you would expect them to rightly, would be moaning and groaning at every missed pass and missed opportunity. 
And as we've seen recently, the, the, the environment can get a little toxic. So the fact that we were away from home, I think, worked in our favor. And that's what made Burnley also not simply defend. I think the first half was even on play uh, with maybe Burnley taking the edge over us. We didn't really find our stride. Uh, nothing was clicking in the final third. But, but, but what we did in the second half was much more convincing. We came out of the blocks flying. Uh, we had a strong first 15-20 minutes. And we started dominating the uh, dominating the game by then, and I think by the end of that, you know, the first 15 minutes of the second half, uh, the Burnley players were starting to feel a little jaded and maybe a little tired. I mean, just being on defense can be can be pretty pretty tough on your mind and on your body. At the end of it, I think Burnley are a fantastic team, as Tony said. Uh, I think Sean Dyche is a treat of a manager. I mean, his post match press conference, sorry, not his press conference, the post match interview. Is, is a thing of beauty. I, I I ask all our listeners, whether you're Arsenal fans or not, just to just to have a view uh, watching of that. I think he's he's incredible. The way the way he you know did the, the post match analysis and you know gave comments on Arsenal and on Burnley, I think it was fantastic. Hmm. But yeah, we get a penalty, stupid penalty giveaway. Uh, I don't think Ramsey was anywhere close to the ball. I think unless he jumped like five feet in the air, I don't think he would have gotten even a flick on. Uh, stupid decision by Tarkowski just to shove him blatantly onto the ground. And uh, he, he made the most of it. You know, he, he went down with his arms flailing. Uh, thank you, Lee Mason, for, for obliging. I mean, as Tony said, I don't think he's a biased referee, but I, I think it was just incompetence. I think he gave away a lot of silly decisions. And uh, But, I mean, that was as clear-cut as it gets. I mean, the only argument I can see is that he wouldn't have reached the ball. But the fact that the defender shoved him in the back in that manner, I don't think you can argue with the fact that a penalty would be given. And uh, up steps uh, Alexis Sanchez, who would be my uh, uh, man of the match, simply because of the nerves of steel. You know, it takes a lot to step up and and, and do that. I mean, of course, uh, we've seen the, we saw the Panenka last year in the same fixture. But just to step up with with pressure on, with so much you know garbage floating around uh, regarding his situation, and so much distraction, I think he did a good job of of slotting in it, uh, slotting, slotting it in. I mean, I don't think it was a convincing penalty. I think and maybe Nick Pope even got a hand on to it. But as long as the net ripples, I'm not going to complain. Three points back back at home now. I think against Huddersfield, or is it away? Uh, Huddersfield. Uh, Home. It's at home. Yeah, it's at home. Yeah, so I think that's a good that's a good breather of a game to have uh, till we visit uh, till we uh, host United. So I think that's a good game to have in the middle. Hopefully, Mesut uh, is going to be back from his illness. Uh, I know he traveled with the team, but was uh, sent back to London Colony on Sunday, uh, I believe. So uh, Arsenal did not sound very convinced that we're going to have him back. But it seems like there might be an outside chance. So to have him back would be nice so that he gets a little bit of uh, game time in his legs before the United game. Just on your um, Sanchez man of the match, and I'll just hot fiddle it. I don't want to criticise the guy. He's a great player. But if, he didn't, if we didn't get a penalty and we drew that game, would he be your man of the match? No, he wouldn't. Uh, as I said, my my only uh, reason to give him the man of the match was of the, was because of the penalty. I, yep. I, I would argue that if we hadn't uh, gotten that penalty and if the game had ended nil nil, uh, maybe a Burnley player should have been awarded that that man of the match uh, accolade for yep. for that particular game. Which one I wouldn't know because, as I said, I was not in the right 
frame of mind to be watching the game. Mm. But I think I think they're a fantastic team. I mean, as you guys talked about, I mean, Watford and Burnley are right on the fringes of the top six this season. Uh, both have shown some uncharacteristic styles of play. Uh, they've they've defied expectations uh, in certain uh, in certain games with their style of play, with the confidence they've shown, and uh, it's and that's why we love English football. I mean, it always provides something new and something unexpected. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, what and they've got good managers too, like um, both of the managers for Watford and Burnley. I, I don't, you know, I, I know we're an Arsenal podcast, but because we're touching on it, um, I can see them going on to bigger and better things. Uh, uh, just on the a couple of things, so Lacazette, uh, he he was getting a bit of criticism, um, and it was, and I'll, I'll go to you, Tony, on Lacazette. The criticism was coming in that, and, and as we we get just about every week, as we were discussing before, um, he's not running onto the ball, uh, you know, and then he was taken off um, for Welbeck. What's your take on it all, mate? Um, I'll start by saying that it's not really criticism of, of him. It seems to be criticism of everyone else, um, the other players, Wenger, everyone. Um, that he makes a lot of runs to make space. It, I don't. I hate using the line, and I've said it before. If you've ever played the game, because it makes like it makes me sound like oh, you don't know what you're talking about if you've never played. But I don't mean it like that. But if you've ever played, you'll know that every time you run, you're not going to get the ball. Sometimes you make runs to take defenders away or create space for someone else. And it might look like nothing. Like, I'm sure most of you have seen the clip on the, uh, for the Tottenham game, for Sanchez's goal, Ozil made a one-yard feint that then made space for Lacazette, who then crossed it into, into Sanchez, who scored. If Ozil doesn't make that movement, it then makes the ball to Lacazette that Bellerin played a lot harder, which then makes the ball to Sanchez nearly impossible, which, which rules out the goal. So... It's not a case of when people go, oh, Lacazette keeps moving and not getting the ball. Sometimes he's not he's moving intentionally to not get the ball. And in a game like Burnley, when there was absolutely no space in behind for 90% of the game, if he makes a run in behind, that's to create space for the midfielders because the ball into him is near impossible because if you overhit it by 1%, the keeper comes out and gets it. If you underhit it by 1%, the defender beats, it, beats him to it and heads it away. So when you're running in behind it, in when there is no space in behind, it's to try and make the defenders drop a yard, which then gives your midfielders more space. Um, so it's not a case of every time you move, give him the ball. Um, it's, football doesn't work like that. Even if the run does look good on TV, or even if in the ground the run looks good, it doesn't. If the like, we'd be the first to moan if Sanchez tried to play that ball to him and gave it away nine times out of ten. But that's what that ball is to him. It's, you've got a ten percent chance of making some of them passes. But we'd be very, we'd we'd be the first to moan if he got it wrong nine times. So I don't blame any of the other players for that, and I don't blame Lacazette for it. He's moving for the team. Um, it shows a, an unselfishness that I quite like. But it just, I, it just does annoy me that everyone else seems to get criticism because of it. And I don't think he would, I mean, like, not that he ever would, but I don't think he would be thinking, oh, I keep making runs and no one passes to me. Sure, there's instances when he thinks that, but he doesn't. It seems like if you read social media, people seem to think it happens ten times a game. He might think once in a game, or oh, they should have played that ball through to me. But in general, he knows what he's doing. Um, in terms of the substitution, I usually, I mean, regular listeners will know, I talk about his fitness when he gets subbed off. I actually don't think it was the case this week. Um, about five minutes before he came off, he, started, he kept coming short. Mm-hmm. And 
it's, it's a problem that strikers have a lot when they get starved of the ball or starved of good quality balls to them. They come and get it and they go wide. They go searching for the ball. That's okay if you're playing a two up top because you've still got someone else in the middle. But when you're the one striker, the only central attacking figure, if you start going out wide and start going short, that leaves the defenders marking no one and it makes their job incredibly easy. And especially with Burnley towards the end, the last 20 minutes, they weren't defending with a back four. It was a back six, if not a back eight. So if then you've got one central striker coming into the centre circle to come and get the ball or going out to the right wing, it's never going to be useful. Um, So when... So it wasn't surprising me he came off. I, I was expecting Giroud to come on, to be honest, because he has a chance of winning the aerial battles against their big centre-backs and he, he tends to not drift wide and come short. Um, well, by, by Welbeck coming on, that was a clear message that Giroud pull your socks up. Yeah, pretty much, because, again, I know Welbeck only played 45 in midweek, but his 45 was better than Giroud's 90. But um, bringing Welbeck on, and Welbeck pretty much played within the the width of the 18-yard box. Uh, there was one time he ran wide, but that's because he was slipped in behind, and he actually got in behind, but then slipped. He still kept the ball, but the only time he ventured out of the width of the width of the area was to get in behind, um, and that's how Lacazette started the game. But as I said, because he he got I don't know what the right word is not not nervous. He got impatient with not having enough of the ball. He went to get it. And look, he was never going to score from the positions he was in. And, and his job is to score. Mm. So I don't think it was a bad sub. Uh, a lot of people in the ground were thinking maybe take uh, a defensive-minded player off or, or not an attacking-minded player as we was going for the win. But it wasn't like we had laid siege on their goal. As we've discussed, Burnley were a good team and they could have gone and won it themselves. So I think Wenger made the sub thinking, yes, we want to win, but we also don't want to lose. Mm. So if he would have gone, say, Zakharov and and Welbeck on, then that leaves you exposed on the counter-attack or just when when Burnley were attacking in general. So it was a it was a bit of a pragmatic substitution, as I said, in that he wanted to score, but he also didn't want to concede. Just on a couple of things. So I, I think the criticism and people looking at Lacazette and they're thinking $50 million, he scored six goals in, what, 13 games are we now? And and then you yeah, but he's been a sub in a couple of them. yeah. So um, and then they look at uh, Mo Salah for Liverpool, who's scored, who's leading it at ten on ten goals. Aguero nine, Harry Kane nine. Uh, people, are, you know, fans are probably starting to get a little bit impatient. Um, six goals, fifty million dollar player, and we're subbing him off. Well, yeah, but you can't keep a player on because of their price tag. His mm. price tag doesn't kick the ball in the goal. That's why you have players that have cost a million pound that have scored. Jamie Vardy cost less than a million pound. He scored, what, 28 goals a year they won the league. Yeah, yeah, his yeah. price tag never kicked any of them in. His left, right leg or his head did. So, as I said, when Lacazette had... I thought he was actually very good uh, yesterday. But when he got impatient and started doing the wrong thing, he came off. Mm-hmm. Which, for me, was, was the right thing to do. Um I know I, I, we, say, we sometimes get tweets saying I, like, I seem like I don't rate Lacazette because I'm always giving the reasons why he's been subbed off. But I only say what I see. I do like him. Mm. As I said I was very impressed yesterday. I thought he'd done the dirty work very well. But it, it came to a time when he got impatient, started making the wrong decisions. And that's when you take him off just because he costs £50 million. You can't say, oh, well, you're doing everything wrong, but we pay quite a lot of money for you. So carry on doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's just... I mean, I do understand the frustration where Salah seems to be flying, but then, look, there's always been examples of players that 
you could go the other way and, and, and pick players that were more expensive than Lacazette and then and didn't do the business. It's, it's easy to say, oh, well, Lacazette costs 50, someone else costs 30, and the 30 million pounds that players doing better. But as I said, the price tags don't kick balls in goals or, or make passes or keep clean sheets. And that's where I think, the, instead of blaming Lacazette, they're blaming the midfielders and they're blaming uh, players like Shaka with no cre- creativity and, and different. And I'll get onto that in a second. But um, And that's where I think the other players are getting the, the criticism because they know um, Lacazette was a well-proven striker for Leon. Yeah, I mean, look, as I said, there, there will have been times where he's made runs and he's either not been spotted or a player's chose a simpler ball. But... There has also been a lot of times where a player's opted to not pass to him and it's been the right decision. I just think because of his price tag, a lot of people seem to think every time he, every time he moves, he should get the ball. But as I said, it's not, it doesn't work like that. And, and as I said, he'll know that. He knows that he's making runs for the right reason and he doesn't expect the ball every time. If every time a player ran, they expected the ball, it would be a completely different sport. Do you think it's um, just a matter of the team gelling a little bit? Uh, no, because I don't think they're doing anything wrong. As I said, if he yeah. if he makes a run and it drags someone wide and then there's a bit more space for Sanchez or Iwobi or Ozil or Jack or Ramsey, then he's done the right thing. That, but So that, that would indicate that the team sort of have gelled together. But as fans, it seems that not all fans, some fans see him make the run, not get the ball and go, oh, they, they don't know how to play with him yet. Mm. When in, in actual fact, they've done exactly the right thing. It's not a... It's like football's a lot, it's not like chess, but they play three moves ahead. So they don't, Lacazette doesn't move just to get the ball. He moves so then the defender goes with him and then there's space for someone else. It's, it's not just what you're seeing now. They're, they're thinking, if I do this, then he can do this. And it's a game of situations and scenarios. Mm-hmm. It's not just, I'll move, I want to get the ball. It's, that's not how, it's not that simplistic. It may be in Sunday league football or park football or when me, you, or anyone plays with our mates over the road. But at that level, that's not how it works. It all comes down a bit of tactics and players moving around, make space for other players and so on. Oh, look, I mean, it'd be brilliant if football was pl- striker moves, midfielder finds him, striker scores. That would be ideal, but we don't live in an ideal world. A couple of long balls over to Lacazette. Do you think they were the, you know, the, the wrong balls to play play to him or uh it, look, it all depends on the situation yesterday yes because there was no space in behind they've got two big northern six foot four center backs who would head a concrete if they had to yeah and Lacazette's five foot seven look Lacazette does put a good battle up in the air in all honesty and all fairness to him but if you're if you're playing a long ball to him with no one really supporting him again and there's no space in behind so it's not like the ball's going to clear the defenders and he's going to run onto it it was literally him battling up against two defenders who are both very good in the air, very big, very strong. So yesterday, yes, it would have been the wrong choice. Had they def- been defending up on the halfway line and you could go a long ball over the top that he could run onto and he would beat them for pace, then it's, it's, it's the right decision then. So I don't, it's not, football, you can't say one ball good, one ball bad. Everything depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Schwinn, and I, I held back because... I look, I, I love Shaka and um, I, I, I appreciate the football he brings to Arsenal, but a lot of people were criticising him in the first half, um, so I, I just kept my mouth shut because I thought, I'll oh, clock in talk, going to come under a bit of criticism here. So, um, mate, unbiased opinion, what was your thoughts on Shaka? 
Uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I feel like any any individual's performance yesterday, whether you know whether you want to pick on a specific player or you, you know you just draw a lot on on who you want to talk about, can be directly transposed onto our team's performance during the whole ninety. I thought the first forty five, every everyone was a little flat uh, on our team. Uh, we tried to put things together, but it, it it just wasn't working. We didn't find our flow. We didn't find our groove. Second half, things changed. We were quicker. We were we were closing the ball down if we would give it away, and we were trying to make things happen. And, you know, we were camped in their half trying to make things happen. So, I see I see what you're trying to get at here in terms of his performance. I think it was a very balanced performance, as was most other Arsenal players, even even Alexis Sanchez, who I named my man of the match. Even his performance was pretty balanced, I would say, uh, for different reasons, though. But I like having Granit in midfield. I like I like his presence in the team. I like I think he he's the one who got the ball to to Kolasinac that led to the penalty, if I'm not wrong. So he makes things happen. You know, he might try the same thing again and again. And sometimes fans complain about him being a little too uh, repetitive in nature, but. If we have a plan and if we think that things are going to happen because of that, then then by all means, go at it. And that's what he brings to the team. He's not the enforcer that we want him to be yet, but he has other skill sets that, that you know he's, he still delivers on, even if his defensive side of his game is not at at 100% or at, at where we want it. So long, long answer short, I think having him in the team gives me confidence of, uh, of a little more defen- uh, defensive stability. So I like having him in the team. That also may be driven by the other options we have, which are not too many right now. I don't think there's anyone in our team who can take his place. Uh, it would be no one can play that role, I think, and especially play that role the way he does. So when I see his name on on the team sheet, I, I don't I don't necessarily think why, but for me, he is a given to start in in the important games for Arsenal. Mm-hmm. And I only bring the name up because um, I actually had a look on the on social media, and you know there was a lot—not on our account, but there was a lot of Arsenal Arsenal fans asking, um, you know, why is he in the team? Uh, worst signing of Arsenal history, um, and I and I, I I actually try to stop and think to myself, shit, is he that bad? <laughs> um, I, I I wouldn't go that far. Uh, well, let's not forget that he's still young. Yeah. Uh, he's only been in, in, in the league for what, a season at this point. You know, this is his second season uh, where we've sort of changed our system. I mean, I know we changed our system last year out, but this is when we're really exploiting, you know, different teams with this system, and we're trying to understand how we can perfect this system according, you know, based on the players we have. Mm. So it is a new world for him, and I think that that criticism is completely unwarranted. I, I, I don't think it does him justice at all because he's a quality player. I mean, that left—he's got a sweet left foot. I mean, there's no denying that. Whether whether he wants to take a crack at goal from 40 yards out or or you know ping a ball across across the field uh, to find Hector Bellerin or Mesedozan making a run, he has the, he has the skill set to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just need to be more patient with him. No one is going to come into this league. Very few players, rather, are going to come into this league and start bossing the league. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, that's what we expect from him because of the role he plays. And I think he has the potential to easily grow into that. You know, uh, as Tony earlier said, that Ramsey and him are starting to form, form a partnership, something solid, something that we can base the rest of the team around. And that has been our uh, our weak point, you well, know, so lacking that extra. 
Well, it seems like Wenger's going to stick with uh, Ramsey and Xhaka there and um, Kozinac, Bellerin is top of our, our team to go forward for the season by the looks of it. So, Yeah, and I like that. I, I, I find few problems with that, mm. uh, you know, based on our uh, last two performances. I think we're definitely growing uh, in stature when you look at that part of the midfield, uh, the central part of the midfield. Because we expect a lot from those players. I mean, we spoke about this last uh, on our last podcast that we're essentially asking two midfielders to do the job of three midfielders. Mm-hmm. You know, many people are going to have a tough time doing that. So we just need to be patient. I mean, I, I, I don't see any reason to, you know, start slating him. I think it's completely unwarranted. We need to be patient. We need to realize that he needs a little bit more time to understand the new formation and the, and the league. And uh, I think he's got a bright future ahead. And I, I wish uh, him. Um, I wish that he stays at Arsenal because I think he's a quality, quality player. Okay, Tony. There was a few people suggesting that um, Lacazette, and I don't want to harp on this Lacazette thing, but I just want to talk about changing our formation because a few people were talking about Lacazette and Giroud up front. How would that work? Uh, just before I go on to this, can I just make one very quick point about Xhaka? Yeah, mate. Um, the pass to Kolasinac that won the penalty, and I called it a pass, not a cross, shows so much composure, and he's not going to get any credit for it because it didn't, it wasn't an assist or anything. But everyone in the ground was either sh- uh, shouting shoe or cross it, like whip it in. And he's picked out a free man in the inside the area in the 92nd minute of the game, this nil-nil against the packed defence. That is, it takes some ability to do that. Mm. And again, no one's going to give him credit for it because it's not, he's not, he's not the holding midfielder that everyone wants, as Schwinn says. But he saw something that even most fans didn't see. I didn't see it, but then I recognised it after he'd done it. But mm. I think sometimes you do have to give players credit, even if you don't like them, when they do something correctly or something that's a bit, a bit special. Um, and now people will come on and say, oh, it was only a 20-yard ball. But none of them are saying, give it to Kolasinac when Xhaka picked that ball up. Um, anyway. Tell you I'll... what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in real quick, Tony. Tell you what, if this same pass had been made by Cesc Fabregas 10 years ago, you know, the same Arsenal fans who have been slating Ron Xhaka would have been singing his praise. Just to put Great. things in perspective, I mean, mm. as, as Tony said, it was, it was nothing that, it was not the ball that even, you know, spectators on the telly or uh, in the stadium saw. It was, it was a delightful ball. It was composed. 92nd minute, you know, when the fans are shou- shouting, shoot, that's, that's probably what you're going to do because you, you might as well have a, ha- have a crack at it. But that ball was sublime and it led to a goal. You know, I, mean, I, I don't see any reason for us getting on his back. I think it's completely unwarranted. Sorry, Tony, all you. No, yeah, as I said, it's just something that not many people have picked out. But for me, it's just forget the the pass, the the one the vision to see it, and two the composure to play it uh, under that pressure are exceptional. And uh, other players might have crumbled under that. Anyway, well, um, well just before to... you go, before you go on there, Tony, I just and the reason I bring up Shaka is because I was looking at a couple of the other ratings from um, the different Arsenal uh, groups and blogs and whatnot. Now, Shaka, they give a between. He was. They basically said that he was the worst player on the field between a five and a six. And Savvy done our our ratings at uh, clockandtalk.blog. And we were type of one of the only few that give Shaka uh, an eight. So I I just wanted to get your opinions on on 
you know what your thought he 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 was like yesterday. That was all. So yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yep. Go on. Uh, so on to the the change of formation question. I've said this to questions in answer before, and I'm not ducking the question. I'm not sitting on the fence, but I don't like talking about things that aren't going to happen. Mm. Like it's just we're not going to change formation. And at this moment in time, if he did change it, it wouldn't be Giroud starting because he's not earned his play. Mm. So the Lacazette may look very good with a striker next to him. He may do. No one knows because we haven't seen it in England. Um, it could suit him to Giroud. It certainly wouldn't suit a midfield where you're losing. Like. I think people sometimes say things and don't think of the consequences elsewhere. So if they go flat 4-4-2, for example, um, with Lacazette and Drew up front, at this present time, that would leave... Uh, with our current players, you'd want Sanchez and Ozil in there. So you put Ozil in, mid, in centre midfield, uh, Sanchez on the left wing, presumably. Then you've got to have a holding midfielder, whether that be Xhaka, Coughlin or Elneny then what, that one in front of four isn't good enough, especially when you're not going to get much protection from Ozil and Sanchez. And then who plays on the right wing? You're Wobie? Welbeck? Again, Welbeck's not going to give you anything defensively. He's going to run up, run up and down. Um, so cost. it's just, I, I don't see I mean, again, mm. don't, don't give you anything defensively. No. Look, we'd score more goals, but we'd concede a hell of a lot more. Yeah. And we wouldn't have possession as much because we wouldn't have the bodies in midfield. Mm. At the moment, we've got, we say it's a two in midfield with Xhaka and Ramsey, but... Ozil tucks in, Sanchez tucks in, and, and then the fullbacks are wide, so there's always options. Whereas if you've got a two-man central midfield, and Ozil's pushing on as he does, and then you've got to have a holding midfielder, so then you're dropping Ramsey, Jack doesn't get a look in, Jack becomes fifth, sixth-choice central midfielder. Um, it just, it, for me, it doesn't work. I mean, I know people have said put two up front, we're keeping the back, keeping everything the same, but then just playing a ten. Um, but then that's a hell of a lot of work for Bellerin and Kolasinac to get through. And as we've established, Kolasinac isn't the fittest anyway. And uh, Hector's not the most creative. So it may work for Lacazette, but we're Arsenal FC, not Lacazette FC. It's, um, yeah, and it's, I don't think it would work for well, Bellerin. He's, he's starting to show that he can handle that position and it's probably the best position for him. So, you know, what do you do there? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, as I said, I don't really want to overly talk about it because it's not going to happen, but yeah. if the audience are going to ask the questions, I've got to at least partially answer them. Yep, yep, OK. Right, we'll get on to... Um... Jack Wilshere, uh, a couple of stories have been running around during the week that he had a little talk to Wenger about his future. Yeah so, he, yeah, so he said after the Cologne game that he's felt as fit as he has for the last four years and he looks he looks in incredible shape. Um, I'll, start, I'll, I'll say this before I start going on about it and anyone that listens regularly knows I'm a huge Jack Wilshere fan. So this may be coming with Wilshire-tinted glasses. But um, what he said after the game was that I'm as fit as I have been. I'm still not really getting a look in. Uh, I haven't been offered a contract yet. Um, and what he said was, um, look, I've known the manager a long time. I, I feel I can be honest with him and I feel he'd be honest with me. And he said, at some point, we're going to have to have a talk. And if things don't get sorted, then I'll have to go in January. Um, which... Look, he doesn't want to go, but mm. I think that's quite an honest thing for a player to say. 
Um, he's giving Arsenal a hint, like, get a move on. I, I want to be here, but if, you, if you're not talking to me, how can I be here? Mm. Um, so I, I think it was a bit of a PR exercise to get the club to get a move on. And I also, I think it's worked because yesterday, look, I'm not Iwobi's biggest fan, as everyone knows, and I'm a big Jack Wilshire fan, but I don't think at the time Iwobi came off, I didn't think there was a case for taking him off. It was a bit of a surprise when we all saw Jack sort of getting stripped off to come on. Um, and I think him saying that the other day has made Wenger think, like, shit, I do want to keep this guy, which I think Wenger's known all along, and is showing it by giving him more minutes. As I said, I don't think it was a bad substitution. It was just a very un-Wenger-like substitution. It, it, he wasn't playing badly. Oh, he wasn't awful. Well, he wasn't good, but he wasn't bad. He, um, there, well, as I said, there was no real call for the change. I thought Jack done very well when he came on. Um, he, he only touched the ball sort of three or four times. Like in, but I thought there was a lot of um, intent. Every time he got the ball, he had the shot that deflected wide. Hmm. He played one ball to Lacazette, where Lacazette could have had a shooting opportunity, but the ball got stuck under his feet. I think we won a corner from it. Um and, uh, yeah, I think just Jack looked to go forward and he looked positive. Um, so I thought he looked good when he came on. But I thought I, I said I think the substitution was, had, when, had Wilshire not done that interview on Thursday, I think he would have come on 15 minutes later. And um, a few people mentioned, and I, I, hate, I hate to think it would have happened now because after the Sanchez penalty, um, they were calling Sanchez to come off and Jack, Jack to take his place. That yeah, look, I mean, I said it, I think all of us said it pretty much before Tottenham that we wouldn't have been surprised if Jack played instead of uh, Alexis, but uh, Alexis scored two and two since then. Mm. Uh, done well, done very well against Tottenham, was good enough yesterday. Um, as I said, whether you put him at man on a match or just or think he played badly, I, I mean, I, I find it hard to believe anyone thinks he played badly, um, but everyone's welcome to their opinion. Um, so, look, we all get things wrong. Um as I said, I would have, before North London, I think pretty much all of us on the podcast said we would have liked Jack to start ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the only problem, I, I was speaking to one of our followers about this this morning, actually. The only problem I see going forward with Wilshere is he's been on 100 grand a week for, I think, three or four years now. I can't see the club offering him any more. He hasn't earned more, and this is coming from a huge Wilshere fan. Does it look derogatory if you offer less like my, my words to the follower I was talking to this morning is, could we see an Ashley Cole situation? Where Ashley Cole wanted to be at the club, he wanted to stay at Arsenal, but Arsenal had verbally agreed one price and then offered him a different uh, a weekly wage and offered him five grand a week less. Mm. Will Wilshire feel like Arsenal was slightly taking the piss out of him if they now go, here's your new contract, it's on 80 grand a week. Don't get me wrong, 80 grand a week is still a good wage, but... If you've been on a hundred, is very unusual to a, play, a player to extend the contract at the same club and take less money, and that's the only problem I can see going forward. It may be the case that Arsenal offer him a hundred again. Um, has he earned that? No. no. Does he have the ability no. to be that player? Yes. No. There's no two ways about it. So it's a bit. That's the only problem I can see coming. And personally, I, I don't. I obviously can't speak for Jack because I, I wouldn't know the bloke. But. Um, all the way how he's thinking, but if you've got you know, you're on a hundred hundred thousand, you've well hundred pound, you've you've earned. He hasn't earned it. Um, you, your agent's got to be going. Well, okay, we'll we'll accept the eighty and something in the terms of 
you know, if he stays fit and injury free for 12 months, then we can revisit it? I don't think it's, a, it's, it's not a fact of the money. I said, I think 80 grand a week is, you'd accept that. Look, it's the same as Ashley Cole. Five grand a week didn't make a blind bit of difference to him. The guy's a multi-millionaire. It was the, it was the point of, of being told one thing and getting another. And it's, a, it's, it's the same as what I'm saying with Wilshire. The, the difference between 120 to him, he probably wouldn't notice. He probably couldn't tell you his bank balance to the nearest 100,000. Mm. As, as horrible as that sounds as a normal bloke. Yeah. Uh, but it's the point of being told, well, you were this important to the club and you're now worse and less so important in terms of money. Um, as I said, it's a, it's a problem. It's the only thing, a potential pro- I'm not saying it's happened. This, this conversation yeah, yeah, hasn't yeah. happened. It's just no. something that's built up in my, in my head, which is the only complication I could potentially see. But do you think? Do you, do you honestly think Jack could sit there and go? I've earned, I've earned that hundred hundred again. Uh, I don't think it matters. I think in modern football, when you look at what people are earning, and as I said, it's very, it's almost unheard of in football for a player to sign with the same club for less for than less what they money. were previously on. Um, so it's more, it's a principle thing. I'm not saying mm. that I'm not saying he's money hungry, but it's a principle thing, especially as he's on a free contract. He could go and get, especially look, if he proves his fitness and he stays fit till the end of the season and goes on a free, and he, he pro- and he stays fit, he'll get a hundred easy elsewhere mm. because he's on a free transfer. So, if money is a a driver, which I don't think it is, I hope it's not. But if money is a driver, it, as I said, you don't want it to be sort of not discriminatory, but you don't want the principle to be bad and the actual financial package to be bad because. As I said, he then feels he's disrespected by the clubs he, club he loves. He's financially not in the same place he would be if he was elsewhere. So what's, then what, what keeps you there? Your love's gone because you feel they've disrespected you. The money is not keeping you there because you can get more elsewhere. So what, what holds you on if that is the case? Again, I'm not saying that is the case. He, he, he called for the loan to Bournemouth, didn't he? Yeah, he um, because he wanted, prove, he, yeah, he wanted to prove his fitness. Mm. Okay. Um, okay. We'll just watch this space and see what happens. I suppose uh, might be something in the pipeline by January, maybe. Uh, I expect him to be offered a new contract within the next two weeks, um, and obviously, whether he signs that, I don't know. I'm not Jack Wilshire. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I think the club. I think definitely before Christmas, but I'd expect it by when when we got Southampton on the tenth. I'd be surprised if he hasn't offered anything, been offered anything by them. But that doesn't mean it will come out in the public. Mm. Um, I mean, it could well do, but I think by the 10th, he'd have been offered something. Okay. Um, Schwinn, I'll just go to another player of interest um, who a few people, even I type of think maybe he might go in January's uh, Walcott. What's your take on yeah. him? Do you, do you want him? You know, do we want, oh, of course we want him, but do we, do we want him to you know, sign on, stay on and do what he's doing or move on? I mean, you, you say, of course, we want him, but do we, though? Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of respect for him. He's got 100 goals for, for our club, more than 100 goals for our club. He he signed on early for, for us and has stayed with us ever since. Uh, you, you know, even during, you know, a few years ago when, when the whole Van Persie saga happened, he, he signed on and he stayed. Mm. But there's no denying that there is, you know, a fall in his form, uh, Definitely, from what from the scene, from the looks of it, his confidence. Uh, definitely in his output, uh, he's not the Theo Walcott we knew, and he's definitely not the Theo Walcott we 
thought 10 years ago is going to be the player, you know, who's going to be dominating the league in a way. I feel for him because he's seen the club go through a lot and he's stood with us through all of it. But he's also seen himself, you know, go down the pecking order in, in quite a quite a horrible way. Um, it's almost a nightmarish story, you know, if you think about what he was projected to be by the, by the experts and the pundits. I mean, uh, this side of the pond, uh, one journalist who is very well known, his name is Bill Simmons, uh, he once did a preview of the Premier League trying to find a team for himself uh, mm-hmm. when the Premier League was getting uh, very popular here. Uh, spoiler alert, he chose Tottenham, but... Uh, when he was previewing Arsenal, uh, he said Theo Walcott is the LeBron James of the Premier League, you know. Uh, so that was the sort of output that people were expecting from him. Mm-hmm. And he's, he has been nowhere close to that. Uh, on top of that, I think he's on 140K. I think Tony could correct me on that if that's wrong. But either way, even if it's 100K, I think that's absurd, you know. Um, that's, I would make the same argument for someone like Dubushi. I know it's a contract that he signed a few years ago. But we need to get creative with this. And I was listening intently on the conversation you were having with uh, Tony about Jack. Uh, I, I, I don't, it, it, you know, it just, I, I just do not understand why we cannot be more creative with our contracts. You know, why are they not performance-based contracts? It, it's, it's everywhere in the world. I mean, in mm-hmm. any industry you look, there are annual reviews based on your performance. You might get, you know, a bonus. You might get a hike in your wage, uh, or it might go the other way. So why, why not do a, you know, a contract? structure that allows for that sort of performance-based incentive or, you know, uh, a little bit of cut here or there if you're not performing as well. So I would like to have him at the club in, in a, at a reduced capacity, uh, specifically in terms of wage, specifically in terms of, uh, you know, his playing time. We don't want to guarantee anyone anything until the time they show merit for it. And Jack and Walcott are players who understand what is Arsenal Football Club. You know, they might not be able to show it on the field because they're lacking confidence or ability on a given day, but they understand the ethos of Arsenal Football Club. Losing Jack and Walcott and anyone like him whom I might not be naming right now can be a bit, big predicament to, to our identity. You know, someone can pull up an Ainsley Maitland-Niles on a midweek Europa League fixture like Jack, put him against the wall and tell him that we need to pull our socks up. You don't expect that from, you know, from someone like Danny Welbeck. Mm-hmm. I love Danny Welbeck, but you don't, you don't, you don't, you can't envision that happening. And that's the only reason I would like to have both of them around the club. I mean, Jack's been working on his, you know, UEFA coaching licenses as well uh, when he was suffering from injuries. So he's he's already shown that sort of intent. I know it's, it's still a few years down the road, but I would like to have them around the club in some sort of capacity, without assuring them an astronomical wage and uh, unnecessary playing time that's um, that's not merited by them. Yeah, I think Walcott's going to be one of them players, and as Tony said, like, I, I, I'm only quoting on what you said, Schwinn, 140. I'm not sure if it's right. Tony will clear that up in a sec. But um, he, he's one of them players, too, that his contract's up, and is it disrespectful to offer him 80, 80, 80 pounds? Absolutely not. I mean, uh, the, the number one, the number one importance uh, is is the football club. You know, mm. we're all here to to support and and serve the football club. Now, whether whether you warrant and you merit someone like you know someone like Sanchez or Ozil merits two hundred k or not, that that's a whole other other argument. But if you if you warrant that, if you merit that sort of money, 
then then the club is going to give it to you because they realize the upside of you know paying you that much because you bring in way more than you know you're taking away. But if you don't, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a low-level staffer at the club who works at the armory or you're the manager. You know, it should be consistent. Mm. As long as you merit that, that X amount, you know, whether that's minimum wage or it's, it's something in the millions, that's fine. But you need to merit it. And Walcott and, dare I say, Jack have not shown that. Mm. You know, if they show it, we'll give you more. The club's going to give you way more than, you know, than you want. But you need to show that yeah, you have deserved it and you've earned right. it. Yeah. What, what's um, Walcott on, Tony? Uh, yeah, it's, it's around 140. That might be with a sort of what they tend to do a lot is if there's a signing on bonus rather than say we've um, given him a signing on bonus, they tend to add it onto the weekly wage, um, like when it's reported. So say they sign on 130 grand a week and a I don't know, just to make it easier, 520 grand signing on bonus, they'll say 140 a week over the year. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. Just the way they tend. So, I mean, he's on in and around 140. Um, in terms of you saying, like, will he go or whatnot, um, he won't because no one, I said this in the summer, no one's going to pay his wages. And Arsenal, look, he's still going to be, his stock's fallen since the summer, but you're still going to want £15 million pound for him. And, mm. then, and then someone's got to, for him to want to go, they're going to have to offer at least 100. But the type of teams that he would probably get into as that uh, would be looking at him, especially as a starter, which is, I'm assuming, what he wants to be, would be the West Ham's and the Southamptons, who just aren't going to pay that type of money. When's his contract up? Uh, not this summer. I think he's got okay. a few years still. Oh, OK. So, so he's... Yeah, I think it's 2019, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Okay. So we're stuck there. OK. Look, and don't get me wrong, I'm happy that we are stuck there because I think he's a good... He's a good player um, in and around that Europa League at the moment and, and the well, second string type tournaments. Um, he's a he top of the player. He's the biggest victim of a move to a back three. Uh, out of all of our players, it's affected him more than anyone else because there's no role for him. Mm. He's, not, he's never going to be a central striker. He's not good enough on the ball. To, because play, the two players in behind, obviously, it's been Sanchez and Ozil traditionally, yeah. but have got to be ball, ball players. Walcott's strength is running in behind. He's not a ball player. So uh, I, think, I said this at the time when we first changed, because obviously Walcott had one of his best ever seasons for us last year. But once we changed, he, I don't think he scored another goal. Mm. And um, he is the biggest victim of that change, in, I, I, I'd say in my opinion, but I think it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alrighty, um... Okay, so we're going to draw a... We've been running a little competition for uh, our friends at Football Culture, and you can find their website, football-culture.com, who kindly donated a Arsenal Lacazette jersey for a giveaway. So um, should we do that now? No time left, present. Righto. Um, So we'll do a drum roll. And, and everybody, <laughs> and everybody was um, uh, who downloaded Voice Bite, and what they had to do was tell us in fifteen seconds your favourite Arsenal moment. Um, Tony, you want to announce the winner? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to do it as spectacularly as you was just about to before I ruined it. But uh, <laughs> so the panel, us three, have uh, unanimously decided that. Glenn has won it both for his moment and him sounding absolutely nothing like what we expected him to. 
No worries. <laughs> well, congratulations, Glenn. <laughs> um, congratulations, Glenn. Is that shut? Yeah, so we'll sort that out. I'll get in touch with you, Glenn, if you're not listening on the podcast now because we've dragged on for about 50-odd minutes, so, um, which I expect you to be listening anyway. So, <laughs> But I'll get in touch with Glenn and we'll get that jersey sent out to you. Thank you. Continue the voice bites, though, because it's good interaction. Um, I enjoy listening to... The questions come through on the voice bites and actually uh, thinking, oh, that's how he sounds like. That's good. So, um, Okay, you want to touch on the Huddersfield game quickly, uh, Tony? Uh, yeah, can do. I, I, said, um, I said earlier, well, last week, that I expected this to be the kind of game where uh, a Jack, or an Iwobi would get a run out. Um, obviously, that again, we didn't know Ozil was going to be ill. Um, I think, again, I don't know if it's just me wishful thinking. I think Jack will start. Um, I think it'll be the same team as the other day. Um, but Jack will start instead of Iwobi. He did look more threatening when he came on, but you could argue it was against higher and legs. Um, one follower, I can't remember who it was, I think it was Glenn actually, uh, asked... Is it a time to rest people uh, with the thought of Man United coming up? Yep. Um, the only one, I, unless there's any injuries, of course, the only one I could potentially see being rested is Koscielny, um because he's got his Achilles injury, his Achilles issue, um, and you could go at any time, so you don't want to overplay him. Um, in terms of wholesale changes, which is what I think Glenn was getting at, the game is still worth three points. It's worth absolutely nothing if we drop two points to Huddersfield and then go and beat Man United. We're still in a negative position from what we would, would hope to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to go with a strong, as strong as you can, really. Um, it's a it's a normal league game. There's nothing just because Huddersfield have just come up, but they've not done bad. They, I know City had a lot of the ball, but City struggled against them the other, uh, was it yesterday. United lost to them. They're, they're not an awful team. They're going to work hard. They're going to pack the defence. Uh, if Koscielny is out, I would imagine it would be holding uh, because if Mertesacker comes in, that means Mustafi moves to the right of the back three and he seems to have, for the first time while he's been at Arsenal, have settled in a role in the middle of the three. So um, I would expect it to be holding just so Mustafi and Monreal will continue in their normal positions. Um I apologise if it wasn't Glenn that asked that question, but someone did. Yep, okay. Um, yep, no worries. <laughs> Sorry, I was just reading that. Um, anyway, El Nenny, you don't think he'll get a start in this game? He'll, he'll no, I mean, like, that's, I mean, there's talk that Ramsey came off the game a bit stiff yesterday, uh, probably from flying through the air. Uh, but again, if he if he's injured, uh, then I would say it'll be Iwobi and Jack will start. Uh, the mm-hmm. one in the Ozil role, probably Awobi and uh, Jack in, in Ramsey's role. Yeah. Um, saying that, look, you can never, you never know with Wenger. He could easily put Elneny in, but I wouldn't expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just going on earlier, I think Schwinn said that um, he wasn't sure if um, Ozil would be back for Wednesday to try and get some minutes in him before the United game. Um, Wenger said after the game yesterday that uh, he'll definitely be short for Wednesday. Um, usually when a player's ill because of drug testing they pretty much can't take anything um, like they can't their medicines that are available to them are next to nothing so oh, okay. 
most clubs tend to do is tell a player not to come in for three days because they don't want it to spread. Yep. So if he's even if they've said two days because the players won't be in on Wednesday anyway because they're playing, that means Ozil won't be in on Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday there's no training anyway, so he wouldn't have trained at all with the squad. So very unlikely he'll be involved. Not impossible, but very unlikely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, okay. that, yeah, sorry, that was just going back to what Schwinn said earlier. Yep, OK, no worries. Uh, Schwinn, what's your take? How does it feel, mate? Yeah, they had, they had a good game yesterday against City. I mean, it, it seemed like they were going to grab at least a point but of course, as City would, they they eventually got the winner. Uh, I think that that game should serve as a warning to us. We shouldn't take this lightly. Um, you know, I, I know there's there's going to be one eye at the United game on the weekend. But uh, as Tony said, each game costs three points. So mm-hmm. we need to make sure that we secure the first three points going into the weekend, so that uh, any positive result uh, shows you know a better picture uh, when you look at both the games. I think we're going to see the same lineup based on uh, what Tony said about Mezit. He's going to be missing, so I think we're going to see the exact same lineup, uh, barring any other injuries. Uh, I expect cameos from Welbeck, Jack, at some point. Uh, if you've got a if you've got a comfortable lead, uh, we can expect Giroud to feature to to see if he wants to turn up and you know when it's a consequential game, uh, even if it's uh, it's in the bag, but. Three points is what we need to secure without a doubt. I don't care how we do it. Uh, I think we will dominate the game, but we can expect a solid def- defensive exhibition from Huddersfield. And we need to ensure that that's how that, that we are able to break them down. There, I don't think we need to have any excuses for dropping points in this. I, I would be, it, it would give me great sorrow uh, mm-hmm. if that happens because if we, if we are going to be dropping points against you know, the, the cities of the league, then we need to make sure that we don't draw points against uh, a team like Huddersfield. No disrespect, but uh, on paper, we are definitely better, and most people would argue that even on the field, we're better. So we need to show that, and we need to get those, those three points. Prediction? 3-0 to the Arsenal. Okay. Okay. Um, all right, uh, let's get into... We've got a couple of listeners, oh, for listeners, followers, yeah, listeners and followers, some questions, guys. So we'll just get into them really quickly. Um, so Tony, yeah, back to Glenn. Uh, he asked early question for the podcast: uh, Why do Kashani and Mustafi bring the best out of each other? Uh, I read this question. I actually started typing in a reply and then remembered that it was for the podcast. <laughs> um, I, I don't particularly think they do. I think Mustafi has what I guess is I think it's a problem most of the time, but it can be a blessing in that he attacks every ball. Um, it leaves Koscielny and obviously Koscielny's a bit quicker so he can when Mustafi doesn't win that ball it leaves Koscielny's pace to mop round round the back to cover uh, so it looks like a sort of partnership but personally I'd prefer the, the problem wasn't made in the first instance um, I think moving Mustafi to the middle of a back three whereas previously he was playing on the right has actually helped solve the problem somewhat because he doesn't tend to go out and attack the ball with the other two are slightly in front of him. Mm. It tends to be him sweeping, which takes out the, the common mistake that he made. Um, I say mistake, it was an attribute of his game, whether whether you see it as a mistake or not. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't think that there's a partnership that, that makes them both look better. I would argue that Koscielny a lot of the time covers for, Mertesacker, uh, not Mertesacker, for Mustafi's mistakes. And Mustafi 
is probably a bit more aerially dominant than, than Koscielny and goes and attacks the ball more. So you notice his strength then. And he also puts his body on the line a lot more. Where Koscielny's quite a nice footballer. No, I'm not saying he doesn't get stuck in, but you often see Mustafi diving in for blocks with limbs everywhere, which isn't really something Koscielny tends to do. Again, someone will find a clip on YouTube of Koscielny doing it, but on the whole, it's not what Koscielny does. So I think that they complement each other because they have very different attributes, but I don't think they're... Um, I wouldn't say that they look bad without each other. I mean, I think Koscielny generally looks pretty good. Whoever he's playing with, you've got to remember on the, the run at the end of last season that they weren't really playing together. And and we uh, we were un, unbeaten for towards the end of the season, apart from Tottenham. Um, again, when Mustafi didn't play, but uh, we've won, what, 14 in a row at home now? Mm. And I'd say Mustafi's probably played four of them. So you can't just pull it down to them to play well together. Um, it's just they, they do have attributes that are the other's weakness so they do cover for each other but I wouldn't say they bring the best out of each other okay um, I'll give you two questions each uh, so MAA Gaming again and I'll, I'll go to you Tony because you know the ops well <laughs> yeah, I wanted this question I was going to say to you before but I forgot when I asked this question uh, looking at stats do you think the ox could have been the perfect right wing back and sort it and sort of ruined his career uh, I was very vocal on this in the summer and I, I'm going to get slated for this because I'll probably take it a step too far. If he would have stayed playing right wing back, he would be England's starter at right wing back ahead of Carl Walker. And with the lack of any brilliant right wing backs in world football, maybe Danny Alves is getting a bit on, getting a bit old. He could have been one of the best in the world. He has literally every attribute. Um, He's quick, he's strong. He was defensively, like, his placement, his positioning, sorry, I couldn't think of the word. His positioning was a lot better than anyone expected. Mm. Um, he never really got beat for pace. Uh, take out the Liverpool game when he didn't want to be there. That was the only bad game he had at right wing back at Arsenal. Um, his delivery was a bit hit and miss, but it was occasionally hit. With Bellerin, it's very rarely hit and quite often missed. Um and it, it played into the system where when we first, it's not so much now, but when we first started playing five at the back or three at the back, whatever you want to call it, the idea was to overload one side of the pitch and then a quick switch and you get your, your wing back one-on-one with their either wing back or full back. Chamberlain was always excellent one-on-one. Whether he then crossed the ball into Rose Ed or into the first man is a different story, but... He was always very good at beating his man. So it worked perfectly in that we would overload the left side of the pitch, get a big switch across the pitch to Chamberlain, get him one-on-one with a fullback, and he would beat them like mm. nine times out of ten. So he had the attacking attributes. He had the defensive attributes, somewhat to my surprise and pretty much the surprise of most others. But he just didn't want to play there. It's no surprise that Chelsea tried to sign him. He went and spoke to Conte. Conte said, I want you to play right wing back. And he said no, because he didn't want to play there. But look, you might think that some of our followers and some of our listeners and, and other people think Wenger's a joke of a manager, but they rate Conte. So they've both got exactly the same viewpoint that he could have been excellent as a right wing back. Are they both wrong? And, mm. and let's be honest, since he's gone to Liverpool, he's played on the right, not right wing back because they don't play a back, a back uh, five, but he's played on the right wing more often than where he's played anywhere else to Liverpool. So Klopp obviously sees his strength being over there. So, uh, and are you now saying that Klopp, Conte, and Wenger are all wrong? If they're all wrong, who's right? 
Not a, um, it was a stupid uh, move for well. Stu- oh, yeah, you know. yeah. Well, I I believe so. I said I think he could have been absolutely anything he wanted. He could have been as good as he wanted at, at right wing back. Mm. Um, and if he did want to get away from Arsenal desperately, which he didn't, but had he stayed another year and played at right wing back, I firmly believe he would have had every club that plays a back five looking to sign him next summer. Do you reckon he's regretting it? Uh. I don't know. Probably not. He's a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. Um, He's not getting the centre midfield um, space he wanted. But you don't know. When he went up to Liverpool, Klopp sort of said to him, look, long-term you'll be a centre midfielder, but you're not just going to come and walk into our centre midfield. If that's the case and he knew that, then there's no reason for him to particularly be unhappy. Um, If Klopp said to him, you are going to be our number one centre midfielder from day one, then yes, he would be unhappy. But them talks happen behind closed doors. Um, I've not heard anything from him and his agent about it. I've not heard any rumblings of discontent. Um, but then I, I wouldn't really expect to, because as I said, he is a pretty happy-go-lucky, likes to have a laugh kind of guy. Haven't they got a centre midfielder coming next season? Yeah, they got Naby Keita coming. As I said, I was only speculating when I said that he might have said to him that you're yeah, going to yeah, be Yeah, oh, no, yeah, I know you are, but yeah. But, I mean, look, he's not... There's no, his agent likes to use the press, as we all know. And there's nothing come out that said Chamberlain's unhappy that he's playing out wide, even through an unconfirmed source, which whenever there's an unconfirmed source about Chamberlain, it's his agent. Mm. Um, but there's been nothing like that. So I would imagine look, he's not going to be unhappy yet. It could come to a point where you're a year down the line, 18 months down the line, and he thinks, hang on, I'm, I'm not starting. And I'm also, when I am starting, it's not in the position where I came here to play. Well, he's got to be looking. Like, he's got to be looking at next season now and saying, "Well, didn't what they spend on that bloke? Um, some ridiculous Kate. fee, yeah, uh, yeah, stupid amounts." But so, so you yeah, got to be look, he's, he's got to be looking at next season. Go, oh, shit, this bloke's coming in now. Now, where am I going? As much as we like to think that as fans, players don't look that far ahead because one good game changes a season. He could yeah, start okay. next week. Someone could go get the flu, and he could come and start in centre midfield because someone's been ill and have a 10 out of 10 game, and then make that position his, his own. So players tend to not look like that. I mean, we think it as fans. I think it all the time. But as players, as I said, 90 minutes can change your life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, we think, look at, I mean, I'm trying to think. Marcus Rashford was Man United's seventh choice striker. They had loads of injuries. They played him in the Europa League against Michelin. Don't know where they're from. Moldova or something. Yep. He scores two. And that... Even though it's like, oh, it's against Midgetland, he gets to start against Arsenal the next game because of what he's done against them. He scores two again. Mm. Now he's their number two try striker, or that time, sorry, last season. From So he's gone from seventh to second in the space of 180 minutes. Yeah. So where, in, in, in the way you just said, if he was looking ahead to the next season, he might have thought, well, I'm seventh choice now. I'm not getting a look in. I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. So... For that reason, players tend to not look that far ahead. And as I've said, it's, it's something because... And I still, even though I know that, and I've just told you that, I still think of it like that. I still think, well, he's got to look next season, who's coming, he might not get a game. But that's, it's not at all. That's not what, he's thinking, what Cham- yeah. yeah. What Chamberlain will be worried about is the World Cup. Um, but I think he must have, and it, this is nothing he's said, I think he must have known he was putting that spot in jeopardy when he moved to Liverpool because he was unproven in centre midfield. What would have... Um, the problem I think he had as well is 
he played two friendlies in the, in last summer in centre midfield for England. He he was awful in one of them against France. I think it was he was he stunk the place out. But maybe he thought, well, my best chance of getting in the England team is in the centre midfield, so I need to be playing centre midfield for my club. And then obviously that's what's uh, made him go to Liverpool. But he will be worried about a World Cup. Uh, on a side note, when he didn't get selected for the last batch of matches, the uh, who did we play? Germany and Brazil for England. He was absolutely fuming. Yeah, right. Shit. Okay. Like, so apparently they called Walcott. Uh, they called a few players. Obviously they called Walcott. They called Jack. Anyone that would may expect to be in the squad but wasn't. Yeah. And uh, they all took it with varying. Like they understand. Blah blah blah. Um, uh, Walcott was okay. I get it. I've not been playing. Jack was given the reason why he wasn't in, and whether he agreed with it, he said, "Yeah, I understand." What not? Chamberlain was fuming. Yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. Another one, Schwinn, MAA Gaming again, and thank you for your questions. Um, yesterday we miss, miss indeed, I think, um, both Ozil and Kozula. How do we replace both of them next summer? Before I answer that, I just want to quickly make a remark on, uh, on Glenn's question, um, on what Tony said as well. Mustafi and Koscielny are great because of the third person we are mentioning, which is Montreal. That's not to say that Montreal is better than either of them. I just think as a unit, uh, them three really bring defensive solidity uh, to our team. Uh, so having Montreal missed from that question, I thought it would be a disservice if I didn't just give him a mention. Uh, in terms of uh, Mezid and Santi, I'll, I'll touch upon Santi first. I think we'll be lucky to see him. I think he will be lucky to see himself in, in an Arsenal shirt. Uh, I don't say that because of the, his contract running out and whatnot. Just from what we've read, and you know, we've all seen pictures of his ankle, uh, but uh, apparently the doctors told him that he'd be lucky to, to walk with his daughter in the park or something to the, to the tune of that. So, And you cannot, and I cannot you know, put more emphasis on this, but you cannot replace a player like Santi Cazola. That, that unique of a skill set, that, that sort of composure, you know, everything that makes Santi Cazola, Santi Cazola, if you start looking for that in world football, you're not going to find it. You know, mm. There are players like that who, who, who cannot be replaced by, by the same player. Uh, having said that, we, we will need to bring in players who, who can take up positions uh, you know, that, that Santi and Mezit uh, uh, are currently occupying. I've said this before about Mezit that I think he will stay. Uh, I mean, this sort of changes every week. Sometimes I think they're both gone. Sometimes I think there might still be a glimmer of hope. Uh, I sent you guys a very interesting video. I don't know if you guys ended up watching that. Uh, for anyone who I didn't send this to, it was a video of Robert Perez talking about uh, Alexis Sanchez and his situation. Uh, the, the background on this is that Perez basically says that Alexis Sanchez loves Arsenal Football Club and he loves the city of London and he would love to be here. And on a personal note, he mentioned that he has had talks with Alexis where Alexis has complained about Arsenal not reinforcing the squads uh, in terms of spending money, spending real money and bringing in players who, who can fit into the team and make the team better. Mm. So when I think about all that, I think the situation about the contracts is exaggerated in terms of how out the players already are from the club. 
I mean, before the season started, people have been saying that Alexis Sanchez is gone to Man City. Uh, we've heard in the last two weeks that Mesut Ozil has already agreed terms with Barcelona. I have no idea how true those reports are. But I just think that there still might be one last roll of the dice that Arsenal Football Club has in this situation. If we can assure to these two players in, in particular that we will do what we need to do, uh, it might not be exactly what you want or exactly what you expect, but we will do what needs to be done in order to improve the squad to your likability and to, to the likability of us challenging at the top. There might be something that we can do to keep these two players. Uh, I think Santi is going to be a long-term replacement. We have too much depth and not good depth in our, in our midfield right now. We have some dead weight uh, sitting around. So till the time we are able to shed some of that, I don't think we will pull the trigger on a, on a Santi replacement. I think we might wait another season uh, and maybe make a big money midfield signing uh, in 2019, the summer of 2019. Uh, but I mean, just thinking of Santi just you know makes me makes me want to cry. I mean, he he loves Arsenal Football Club so much. The fans love him so much. His smile is contagious. Uh, you know, having him in midfield, especially at the Emirates. You can hear those gasps of him, you know, twink, uh, using his twinkle toes to get around players. He's a delight to watch, even as a neutral. No one can deny that. So I wish him the speediest of recoveries. I wish him the strongest of recoveries. And I'm sure you guys would, would agree with me uh, that it would be great to have him just at Arsenal Football Club, even if he's not playing with us anymore. Mm, okay. Can I just, before you ask the next question to Shuin, uh, can I just very, very quickly butt in on my answer to that question? Yep. Uh, it's one I believe is obtainable. I agree with Schwinn in that you're not going to get a like-to-like uh, replacement for Cazorla. Like, at the moment, we're not playing with a Cazorla-type figure. But an obtainable option for the replacement for Cazorla and Ozil, whether people think this is an improvement or a drop-off in quality, uh, are a Mr. Leon Goretzka and someone who's already at the club wearing number 10. Mr. Wiltshire. It's a great point, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. we, we all talk about re- replacing Santi without realizing that we might not necessarily need a player like Santi. I mean, Santi is one of those players who can f- play a variety of positions uh, in a variety of setups. But, you know, we have a player somewhat like him, maybe better tuned to this newfound system because Wilshire is someone who can play in midfield, in that two-man midfield, or in a more advanced role. So he does provide that that same uh, you know, that's, that's that similar skill set. But it's interesting, isn't it, that we're always looking, fans are always looking, and this isn't a shot at anyone, especially at MAA Gaming, because, you know, he's, he's engaging with us. But we, we're always looking to bring players from the, ins- from the outside, you know. Uh, it's, it's that excitement as a fan. I get it. You know, I'm, I'm one of those as well. But uh, I think Tony makes a fabulous point that, A, Leon Goretzka is running out of a contract, so if we need to make moves, we need to make moves quick. Because uh, I, I hear there's also reports about him having contacts with Bayern Munich. So, and again, Jack Wilshere. So we need to be careful about what we do. I, I know we are very austere when it comes to transfers. But I like that. I like that our, our manager is not willing to pull the trigger unless he's 100% certain. My only problem, like Jack, we all love Jack. But he's really got to, you know... He's starting to bust his way into the first team and, and he's got to stay there and prove himself fitness. And the guy, unfortunately, touch wood, but um, let's hope he just stays fit. And then, yeah, I'd probably agree with you on that one, Tony. But 
I do worry about his injuries. Almost like he's been ran over by a busload of Chinamen or something in the past. You know. Wilshire done an interview recently when they were talking about his fitness, and it's something I'd never thought of, but I agreed with him when he said it. In the last 18 to months to two years, he's only actually had one injury, which he got at Bournemouth. He played 30-odd games, and then he got a contact injury, which isn't uh, like contact injuries happen to every player all the time. That's not a, If an injury is from contact, you can't say it's an injury-prone player. It's from contact. And in the last two years, that's the only injury he's had. And it sounds stupid. He was fit when he left Arsenal. Mm. Uh, he played. He played the week before he went to Bournemouth. He then played ne- nearly in a full season for Bournemouth and got a contact injury. And then he's been fit the whole time he's been back at Arsenal now. So I, I get. I didn't think of it like that. So I'm not okay. claiming to have some superior knowledge. Yeah, he yeah, done yeah. the interview. When I thought of it, I was like, you know what? He's right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, to play devil's advocate, and of course we'll we'll switch away from this pretty quick. But I think that the the worry with Jack is not about his injury record in terms of he might get, you know, uh, hurt again, uh, whether that be for a short time or for a long time. I think the the concern from people who, who made that complaint is that he might not have the confidence after one more bad injury. I mean, Theo Walcott has never been the same player. You know, you cannot deny that. When you, when you see a 50-50 ball and you want to try and go for it, you cannot help but your mind rewinding to, to that one moment that, that cost you a few months uh, of football. So, I get what Tony's saying, and he makes a good argument because in the last two years or 18 months, whatever Tony said, he hasn't got those injuries. But it's that what if. You know, it's unfair for someone like Jack, who's been such a loyal servant and a good football player for us. But I, I, I understand why those fans have those concerns, and I, I think it might be because of what if. He seems to be playing. He, he seems to be playing. You know, like he's he's not worried too much about being injured. Well, yeah, he, he's playing confident, and yeah. for me, that's a it's a mentality thing. I don't think Walcott's ever had it since day one. He looked like a scared, timid boy, and he's always played like that. I, I don't. I understand what Schwinn's saying, and I think with a, a normal, average guy that you'd see walking down the street, like if they have a car crash, they wouldn't be so quick to jump in a car again or whatnot. But I think. With these players that have been getting tackled like that all their life, it's a mentality. You either have that bulldog mentality or you don't. It's not a strength or a weakness because Jack puts himself in trouble because of that mentality sometimes. By uh, he, he puts himself on the end of tackles where Walcott wouldn't be there to get injured. Mm. But I don't think his confidence will go because of it. I think it's a mentality thing. And uh, we all know that Jack's up for the fight and uh, like ready for battle. I hate using cliches like that, but I mean, I can't think of a better way to say it. So I think that's more a mentality thing. I don't think any amount of injuries will will stop him. And I think sometimes that's to his detriment because, he, as I said, he puts himself in positions he doesn't need to be in. But it's his mentality. And I think you would lose a lot of Jack Wilshere's ability if you took away that mentality. Well, and, and that's, look, and I'll say, say this as far as I touch wood that this doesn't happen, but I think if if there was to be an injury just as he you know, looking like getting in the first team now to really rattle his confidence, and that's that. That's one worry. But look, he's eighteen months, you said, so things are looking good. Um, you said earlier that there was a question, and I just found it because I was going to ask it to Schwinn, but we already answered it, guys. It was from Savvy because <laughs> he wasn't on the podcast today. He said, "I have a question for you guys." Should we be resting players from the big game against Man U on Sunday, especially players like Shaney, Mustafi and Ramsey? And Tony, that was the one you answered earlier, wasn't it? 
Yeah, so sorry, I thought it was from uh, Glenn. Yeah. Sorry, Glenn. So, uh, yeah, yeah, already answered it. Yep, so it's from Savvy, and that's us, guys. That's all we've got. Sorry, Schwinn, got no more for you, mate. It's all good. Um, anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, um, Android, and all other good podcast apps. Uh, thank you to Football Culture for donating a jersey to give away, and we hope to continue a, a working relationship there with each other. And uh, hope you know we can bring our listeners a few more jerseys to give away. So um, we are the Clock End Talk. You can follow us at Clock End underscore Talk. You can find our blog at uh, we're at Clock End blog. So thank you once again. Thanks, guys. Tony. No worries. Thanks for having me. And Schwim. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Okay, thanks.